of the Way Home with Laura Smith, the show that brings you wonderful guests, helpful advice, and uplifting stories. The Way Home. Live inspired. Here's your host, Laura Smith. It is so great to be with you. Boy, we really uh, put an end to summer, but having a little bit of it left over feels really good. I hope you're all enjoying the weekend and beyond. And I want to tell you that, you know, sometimes I feel very grateful to have a platform in the sense that I get to talk to some of the most fascinating people in the world in in my book and and cover the most interesting topics. But there's one today that I really felt so deeply about wanting to talk about and Actually, so did my partner on the morning show um, on our station in Indiana. Uh, we both talked about how the fact is we haven't really been hearing very much about Hurricane Ian since it happened. Yes, we know it was terrible. And we know that um, the Fort Myers area, Sanibel Island, that, that area was hit terribly. But I'm personally not seeing much of it in the news. And, and neither was uh, my partner, John Zimney, on the air. And so... We said, we think it's time to get somebody who actually experienced it and lived to talk about it to tell us what's going on down there. So I happen to have a very dear friend from uh, work days back in New York City, and she lives in Sanibel Island now, and she was one of those who um, they really didn't know until the very end, right before the hurricane hit, that it was going straight towards them and not towards Tampa, which they had pre-thought. And so she and her octogenarian parents were huddled down in a bathroom in on the ninth floor of a condo in Sanibel Island for 10 hours, writing out what she said was the most horrifying experience of her life, but so grateful that she lived to talk about it. She gives us some hope with some miracle stories and the beauty that she has seen in Americans helping Americans and all people coming together when really the stakes are down. So, so grateful to have Mary Beth Gonzalez coming up on the program. Plus good news. We always end the show on good news stories with our own Jim Cleefield, the guru of good news. And we're brought to you by Balance of Nature, fruits and veggies in a capsule. Those wonderful little capsules that are so chock full of an amazing amount of nutrition. It's really hard to try to explain it. So many people People ask me because I talk about it a lot. I take them and they all want to know, does it really work? Are you, are, is it really fruits and vegetables or is it like a vitamin that you make in a laboratory? Is some, is something else in it? Um, I try to tell them it's, it's so simple that it almost defies logic, but it's just food inside those capsules. And the food has had the water taken out of it, but all the nutrition preserved. And then they are pulverized down so that when you get take three and three of the capsules of the greens and the reds, which are fruits and vegetables and truly are because you can smell them when you open the bottle, you're getting 10 servings of fruits and vegetables at a time when you take it. It's hard to get what you need, but balance of nature figured it out and they make it available to everyone now. And it is a a real blessing. It's a, a great way to get in your allotted nutrition in an easy way. I take them in the morning when I'm on the air and I need to wake up with my 4 a.m. wake up call and it gives me energy and it makes me feel 
clear in my mind and I feel very strong and I have peace of mind emotionally and psychologically knowing that I'm doing something, putting something so nutritious into my body. You can have the same experience and you can get 35% off your first preferred order. When you put my name in there, Laura, easy as it's so easy. Just put Laura into the promo code when you go to the website, which is balanceofnature.com, balanceofnature.com, or you can call them at a super easy number. 800-2468-751. 800-2468-751. And tell the nice person on the phone that you're putting Laura into the promo code and she will know that you heard it here on the way home. When we come back, Mary Beth Gonzalez with an incredible harrowing tale of Hurricane Ian surviving it and the lovely people that are helping to bring it all back together in any way that they can. It's all on the way, on the way home. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Well, a very interesting thing happened this morning when I was putting together the show. And I was reading the news because my day job is uh, the morning news anchor on 95.3 MNC in northern Indiana. And... I was with my partner on the air and we were, the word hurricane came in one of the stories, but it really had nothing to do with the hurricane. It was about some snails that are left on a beach or somewhere or something. And I looked at him, I said, you realize we've been reporting the news every day since Hurricane Ian, but we are not hearing any news whatsoever about what's going on. And I said, that's the strangest thing, because usually when these natural disasters happen, the world comes together and we're talking about it for months, sometimes even years later in terms of the aftermath and the the survival count and and the ones who didn't make it. And there's stories that are being, you know, parlayed on the news and on TV and on everything. And I looked at him and I said, I am not hearing a word about this. And he said, you know what? I'm not either. I said, I have a friend who I've been watching on social media who has been talking about the fact like how forgotten some of the people on Sanibel Island in the Fort Myers area, the people who were mostly affected by what was apparently the worst natural disaster in a hundred years to hit Florida. And I said, I'm going to talk to her and see if she'll come and, and tell us what's really going on there. And so lo and behold, Mary Beth Gonzalez, a dear friend of mine, um, she is a full-time resident of Southwest Florida. She survived the hurricane. And I say survive because you're going to hear her harrowing story. Um, she watched it from her ninth floor high rise overlooking Sanibel, San Carlos Bay and Fort Myers Beach. And while she says that the aftermath of the storm has been essentially ignored is how she put it by the media. She wants everybody know, to know that there are stories of bravery, kindness and hope that are happening every day there that also need to be broadcasted. Mary Beth, thank you so much for joining us on the way home today. Well, Laura, thank you so much for reconnecting with me and inviting me to, to come and talk about what's happened. Uh, I saw so- your post this week and I was flabbergasted. First of all, it made me realize you're right. I haven't heard anything about what's going on with the hurricane, but your the anguish in your post about how many of you feel almost forgotten there and why isn't anyone covering this? It really, really amazed me being in the news business myself. I thought, what is going on here? So, oh my goodness, tell us, tell us your, your story of being 
on the ninth floor. I'm not laughing. I'm it, it's so fearful to think about. Tell me what happened to you guys. Did you not think that it was going to come in your direction? Um. So, well, first, let me just say that it's really difficult to find the right words to describe the magnitude of what happened in the hurricane and in the aftermath. Um, and even as a writer, I have a hard time um, putting it together because it's just like so hard to get your head around and unfathomable. Um, but uh, I, as you mentioned, we used to work together in New York um, and I was a New Yorker for 30 years moved down to Florida, never experienced a hurricane before. Um, I saw that it was coming about a week before. So I prepped, you know, I had my food, my coolers, my 25 gallons of drinking water. I filled the bathtub. They said it was probably going to be like a category two or three. I'm like, that's cool. Cause I am actually in a category four rated um, high rise condo. And so I thought I was so prepared um, that I invited my elderly parents to come and shelter in place with me. Um, and it was too late once we realized that this was going to be not even a category four, but a category five hurricane. There was, there was no option to leave. Um, and we just had to, to tough it out. And, you know, by toughing it out, I'll tell you, it was 10 hours hours of pounding rain and wind the the winds got up to 155 miles per hour which when you're on the ninth floor of a building it is swaying um (sighs) you know from new york city how like those buildings the high-rises are built this way these this building was swaying 15 feet in either direction (sighs) and i've never experienced that before and i didn't know like was the building gonna break in half was it gonna slowly start to crumble um, and meanwhile, I kept trying to reassure my my parents who were 84 that everything was going to be OK and they just needed to stay in the inside bathroom, which, of course, they wouldn't do because they were fascinated. They'd never seen a hurricane before. <laughs> so they kept running out to the window on the ninth floor and poking their their noses against the windows to look at it. And and I can't really blame them because the view of watching this hurricane come at us it, is like nothing you can even describe. There were trees flying. There were, um, so the water was surging up over our lake, over our, the, the buildings below us, um, like 15 feet high. And, and meanwhile, the Ian just kept on, um, hovering over us. And we're all like, like glued to the little radars on our phone to try to figure out, well, what direction is, is a hurricane going in? Cause you know, they're supposed to like, you know, move pretty quickly and then go on and go bother somebody else. Well, Ian would not leave. He was, he was here moving at just eight miles an hour for, for hours and hours and hours. So let me put that into context a little bit. Like the average person walks four miles an hour. And this hurricane is only moving at eight miles an hour. And I've just never been so terrified. It was like it was never going to end. Water was rushing throughout the building. The lanai doors and screens um, broke. I, I had friends in the building who were who were on higher floors who told me that they were evacuating to lower floors because 
walls had been breached and and windows had blown in. All I can say is it's it was like it was just like total hell for hours and hours. And and then finally, when Ian did move on, we had to figure out how to do the same. <laughs> yeah, I'm again, not laughing. I'm just in like utter shock hearing that. I mean, one thing is to even witness that for an hour is com- must be completely frightening. I mean, you must be it because it, we have to tornadoes here in Indiana, which I'm getting kind of used to knowing about now. And, you know, when you think one's coming through your area, I, it's just you're on pins and needles and you feel so scared and you see the wind blowing and you hear clanking going on outside, even when the actual tornado isn't there. So I, I know that feeling of anticipation of, is it going to come? Is it going to hit us? Is it going to? And so you didn't have that for an hour. You had that for 10 hours. Yes. And, and because my screen, my Lanai screen doors and um, screens were breached, they were rattling like a gorilla in a cage and and I, here I was, like, kind of hunkering down in an inside bathroom, feeling safe, but wondering, like, oh, was that noise just, like, the entire um, wall and window of the condo blowing in? And, and, like, then I'm not safe because this water is flowing in fast. So I went out a couple times, and thankfully I did because it took every one of the 50 beach towels that I had to stop the water from flowing under the, the hurricane doors. It was soaking the carpet, soaking the floor, bubbling up under the screen, the, the sliding doors, which I you know, never had imagined that that could happen. Um, that was the velocity of the rain, like pounding into the building. So this is not from being on a lower floor and the floodwaters no. rising. This was from pounding rain coming at the building. Yes. Uh, and and everybody I know, even on the higher floors, had the same experience, just bubbled up underneath the, the sliding doors from the lanai. Did um, your parents and you stay in the bathroom for a full 10 hours? Did you have a phone service in there? So remarkably, we had phone service the whole time. And, um, you know, the, the power had gone out, but we still had cell service. And... You know, I had set up little camps in the bathroom. So we had, you know, water and food and, and, you know, books and things to do, you know, crossword puzzles. Like we weren't doing any of that. We were just panicked and we were praying. And, and uh, some of the conversations that we had um, thinking that it was going to be our last um, were, you know, truly terrifying. But I also want to focus on a lot of the good stuff that has happened since then, Laura, because because I'm trying not to to like ruminate over how I felt then, because how I feel today is um, much more empowered and thankful. Um, and you know, as much as I was praying that God would stop that hurricane, what I know now is that. God is in the aftermath and God is in all the people here who are helping to, to paste our lives back together. And, and that's what I want to focus on, not how I felt so kind of abandoned during. So the when you say abandoned, 
Well, first of all, it felt like, you know, for all intents and purposes, it seemed like the governor was doing a really good job at at preparing everybody. But what they weren't prepared for, and that was, it seemed to be nobody's fault because even the meteorologists didn't anticipate it turning the way that it turned, right? Because it was supposed right. to be up near Tampa and Clearwater, that area, right? So so that's part that's really kind of confusing, Laura, because yes, the the the, the weather forecast was that it was going to you know, kind of slide by us and, and really hit Tampa hard. And in fact, like that's where the Weather Channel is located. Hang it, they were hanging up in Tampa. But when you talk to people who've lived in this area before, they tell you that that this is the same path that other hurricanes have taken that, that hammered Sanibel and Captiva and South Fort Myers and did not make that turn to Tampa. So I don't I don't really know what the meteorologist models um, where that they were looking at, but they definitely got this wrong. And, and, and that's why there were more than a thousand people who stayed on Sanibel. And I don't even know the numbers of how many people stayed on Fort Myers beach. Um, but you know, the, the message to evacuate literally came, you know, within hours of the storm. Um, so we, it wasn't the night before we had heard it was the night before, but that was still too late for a lot of people to, to rally and, and get out of there. And it was like a voluntary thing. So, you know, a lot of people here who've lived through storms before are like, okay, I'm going to tough it out because I need to be here to protect my home the next day. Well, mm-hmm. there was nothing to protect um, for a lot of these people. So let, let's talk about that because that that I think is what is the hardest for us to fathom a lot because we are not getting the reports that I thought we would be getting from the media, the pictures, the daily stories. I remember when, you know, Sandy was in New York. My goodness, that was it was so horrible and so awful. But they they talked about it literally for months and months and months afterwards. And they had crews everywhere and talking to families. We're not really at least on the channels I'm looking at. And I do the news myself in the morning and and I was with my my partner on the air and he said, you know, I'm not finding stories to report on the hurricane. I wish I did. He goes, because I want to be shining a light on it. But I don't I can't find any in the broader sort of the where you get all your aggregated news and you, you report on it. He said, it's just basically not there. And so I don't really know what. Exactly. I've seen a few pictures and it almost looks surreal. Like, is does this really happen in our country? It Because it looks like something, you know, from a, a war movie, you know, somewhere else. So tell us the next day. So how bad was it? Did the water actually breached your building and, and was over other smaller buildings in your area? I mean, were they buried? Oh Completely. So there's an, there's a, there's two trailer parks. Um, right within um, distance of, of our building. And they're, they're all gone. They're either like on top of each other or they're tipped over or they're in smithereens. And, and there's like, no, there's nothing going on there. Um, And it's it's a massive debris field. Um, And, and there are, places all around here where the roofs are torn off and and boats have flown you know like three blocks away and and are in other people's yards um it it, it it's a war zone i don't know how else to describe it um and 
it, it it looks like a bomb went off, especially when you when you don't just think about like the buildings that are that are destroyed, but there are beautiful vegetation that that all got covered in salt water is dead and brown and stripped. Um, and 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 yet, thankfully, um, so, uh, you know, I, I, do, I can't really speak to what the news coverage has been because I don't have any access to news coverage. I haven't had cable or Internet um, since the storm. Um, so I occasionally see things on Facebook if I can use my little my personal hotspot. Um, I'm at a friend's house right now doing this. Um, but what what I have seen is and what I have heard is how remarkable our amazing Florida governor Ron DeSantis has been. So um, I did catch a news conference where he he said it was going to be his mission to rebuild the Sanibel Causeway, which was broken in four places. And it's a it's the only way on the island. It was broken in four places. And and originally the county said that it was going to take a year to fix. Well, within a day, DeSantis said, that's not right. And he had workers here 24-7. He said, if Florida can't get this done, I'm calling in Texas. And he apparently got it done because he opened the Sanibel Causeway to residents just yesterday. Oh, my goodness. Which is just really? 21 days after the storm versus what he was told was going to take a year. And I had the, the, you know, the privilege of being able to watch these massive convoys of trucks and cement and sand and power lines passing by our windows every, every day, all night long. It, it's a beautiful sight to see. These, the, the, the military is here. FEMA is here. First responders are here. It feels like, like power companies from, I don't know, all over Indiana. Yes. I don't know, all over the nation are here. I don't really yes. know. And I don't, I don't have news coverage. Um, but the reason why I posted on Facebook is because I thought, you know, there must not be a lot of coverage about this because I'm hearing from like a handful of, of good friends. But I would expect that like everybody who even knows me would be reaching out and saying, I can't believe what I'm seeing. And then, and so I'm realizing that they're just not seeing it. And for whatever reasons those are, it's for another show. I, I hate to think the worst, you know, that it's for political reasons. People don't want to shine a light on how great Florida has been handling this and the beautiful people, how they've been rallying together. I, I hate to think on that end of things. So let's, we'll focus just on the fact that it is happening, that the, it sounds like the government has totally recognized what's happening there and come to the aid of 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 its people and it makes me so happy to know that i'm so grateful you're safe but i to be honest i haven't even heard how many people even perished in in the hurricane and i have no idea is it is it 100 is it 1200 i i don't honestly know do you know uh being a resident there are there people still being searched for so um, it's a very gray area, Laura, and, you know, I, I'm in the health field, so I can kind of understand a little bit about why, you know, they can't actually claim that somebody died of, from Hurricane Ian until they've like retrieved the body and done the autopsy and done, and done that, you know, official report. Um, uh, uh, the, the official numbers are like four people on Sanibel died. Um, and, and up to a hundred in Southwest Florida. But what I know 
just from eyewitnesses, is that they saw floating dead bodies, plural, on Periwinkle Way, which is the main road to Sanibel. Oh, my goodness. I know that that there are 600 people who are missing (gasps) still. Now, missing could mean, you know, you're a seasonal resident. We don't really know how to find you. You didn't check in. You know, so I'm not saying that all those people were were victims of the of the hurricane, but it is certainly a lot more than what we have been told. And um, and I and so I'll just leave it at that. Um, can I share a couple stories of some Please. really great things that have happened? Yes, I I would love to hear. Okay, so so I said how like FEMA, the military, first responders were here within days. Um, which was awesome. Terrifying because you've like never seen that before, except on TV and like in Ukraine. Um, but um, it was such a relief when we saw them. Um, there are volunteers from all over the country. Uh, on the on the very first day, I went to a soup kitchen um, to get a warm meal. And I was served a delicious pork stew by the Cajun Navy from Texas. Oh. And they were full of smiles and and like, you know, kept asking me what I needed and handing me ice and water. The Salvation Army has been here every night in the parking lot, handing out ice and hot meals. Um, and it just, it, it was so overwhelming for me to receive, to be on the recipient end of that kindness. Um, it's the only time I've, I've cried throughout this whole storm is that when those people offered me that like desperately needed bottle of water or bag of ice to kind of preserve whatever food I still had in my cooler. There's also been a a great response from my neighbors. Um, You know, this is a seasonal community. Only about 25% of the people in these buildings are here uh, um, in um, September. And those of us who are here pitched in to clean up the debris Everyone did above and beyond, not just worrying about their own stuff, but the whole community um, picking up all the the debris and junk on the on the lawns. And, you know, to, to give you some context of that, um, when I first was looking at the landscape, I thought, why are there so many styrofoam coolers that are broken and blowing around? Um, you know, I don't know that many people who have styrofoam coolers. What's going on? And then I realized that they were actually the homes and the walls of the people in the trailer park next door, where all their walls have been blown out and are blowing everywhere in the surrounding area. And they just look like styrofoam, but they're really, you know, the the drywall walls. Um, Then there's a, there's, there's a great rescue story I want to share. Um, a friend of mine lives in a trailer nearby and he refused to evacuate because he didn't want to leave his three cats. Well, someone put a ladder up against his trailer so he could at least climb up to the trailer roof to get out um, of the water, which was filling up his trailer. Well, when it was clear that he had to evacuate and he couldn't stay in the trailer anymore because he was, you know, couldn't swim um, and the water was going over his head, he put his cats into carriers and he climbed up the ladder And then he saw somebody's broken front porch float by. So he jumped onto the front porch and he surfed the storm surge on that porch for two and a half blocks for three hours during the storm. With his cats? 
No, he left the cat sitting on top of the trailer. He couldn't okay. manage all that. Gotcha. Uh, but he was so desperate that, you know, he went to go to save himself on this on this porch. And then the porch floated by a house where people were looking at the second floor window and they saw him and they said, hey, you want a beer? <laughs> he jumped in the window and he spent the rest of the storm drinking beers with these new neighbors. Um, and miraculously, when he went back to his trailer the next day, all of his cats survived. And oh, his- my God. And and his bicycle, along with the cat carriage, were standing perfectly upright on the top of the trailer. <gasps> Crazy, right? And and his bike is his only means of, of transportation. So thank God. Except for the porch, the floating right. porch. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I have tears in my eyes. Just think that is one miracle story. It sounds like a miracle to me. And I'm sure it was a miracle to him and to his kitties. I, I can't even imagine there must be a million more of those stories. And I'm just so grateful that you are here, that we're talking about it, that somebody is listening to this and is remembering that, oh, yes, our beautiful fellow Americans and neighbors are still there and still dealing with this aftermath. We have two minutes very quickly. Um I know you have work that you do, very important work, actually, that you do. You said you're in the health field, and I know your husband um, was uh, just a huge proponent of uh, healing and, and, and health care in a very special way. And I, you know, I know that this must be difficult not having him during this time, but there you were for your beautiful parents, and I'm just so grateful you're all okay. Um, just tell us how you're... What 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 are the next steps for you? And are you going to be able to get back to work eventually and working on the foundation and your books? Tell tell my audience about it, if yes. you would. Um, well, so, Laura, yes, I'm the president of the Nicholas Gonzalez Foundation. Um, and thankfully, my work has not suffered because I'm the only person who works for this nonprofit cancer research foundation um, who lives in this area. Everyone else works remotely. And doctor's offices around the world, we were able to text and they all kept on working and seeing patients and accepting patients into the program. Um, I had secured all of my important work documents before the storm. So nothing was at risk. Um, and that was really important to me that, that the healing work that we we're doing to, to honor my late husband's legacy would continue. Um, so people could still have access to the Gonzalez protocol. Uh, Tell us the website where people can find out. We just touched on this briefly, the, the incredible cancer, uh, healing cancer work that, that your husband's found, foundation was and still is growing so strong, even stronger than ever. What is the website people can go to to find out more about your foundation? So the website is thegonzalezprotocol.com. Um, and uh, you can read all about our work there. Um and, and I thank you for the opportunity to share that. What, what I would really just like to leave everybody with is that um, I'm seeing promise. I'm seeing hope. Um, I'm seeing birds that are venturing out. We're, we're seeing signs of some wildlife that survived. Some of the trees are greening up. Um, and this beautiful area, um, it, it, it is getting picked up. And I think it will come back. The people here really want it to be a wonderful home for many years for all of them and their family. And Mm -hmm. I'm really optimistic. 
And I'll tell you that uh, for people in northern Indiana, my audience here, and probably Greenwich, Connecticut, too, Florida is a second home. And people here, their hearts are with everyone there. Is there anything that you want to leave us with that we can do now hearing that there's still such a need down there? Is there anything that we could do just hearing this off the top of our head, whether it's say a prayer or send some money somewhere? Like, What are you seeing a need of most that you would like people to know about? Um, My Sanibel Church has relocated um, to a Fort Myers church nearby. So we're able to all worship together. And they've done an amazing job connecting people with services and information. And they are committed to rebuilding the Sanibel Fort Myers Captiva community. And that um, church is called St. Michael and All Angels. It's the Episcopal Church of Sanibel. And they have a specific hurricane fund. Um, so if you're interested in, in supporting the real people here who have suffered, um, I would encourage you to check out the website, St. Michael and All Angels um, in Sanibel, Florida. St. Michael and All Angels Episcopal Church in Sanibel, Florida. Mary Beth Gonzalez, it's uh, I am so grateful to see you there looking as beautiful and, and, and bright and shining as you always were and, and will continue to do so. My love to your beautiful parents and thinking of Dr. Nick Gonzalez on this day, too, who I'm sure was watching over you strongly as well as um, God in heaven, we thank we thank God and the angels for all all of the mercy that he showed for many of you. So thank you so much for thank being you, on the line. Thank yes. you. And and thank you for giving me this opportunity to share the story of our area with your audience. I'd love to have you back. Thank you, too. Mary Beth Gonzalez. And once again, the website for her husband's foundation um, that she is running right now is the Gonzalez Pro- Protocol.com, the Gonzalez Protocol. Dot com, And um, I urge you all to go there and also to donate to the church in Sanibel Island. St. Michael li- and all angels. St. Michael and all angels. Thank you. You're listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Well, it's hard to imagine that four out of five black women have either a weight problem or are obese. It's obviously something that um, affects so many people, and there are so many risks associated with it. And yet there are people who are advocating uh, to change this and help change this for women so that they can lead healthier lives. Kalia Ali is here today. She's a, a healthcare advocate, an activist, a designer, an author, and she's the daughter of former professional boxer Muhammad Ali. Kalia, thank you so much for joining us today on the way home. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Wow, this that's a staggering statistic. I had no idea it was that much Can you tell us um, through what you have found out and any research, is this due to the obesity? Is it due to genetic factors? Is it lifestyle choices? Is it a combination? Do do you know medical reasons? Why such a high uh, statistic in terms of obesity for black women? Well, the statistic you gave, four out of five um, American Black women overweight or obese is significant. 76% of all Black adults broadly, a broader number, um, are either overweight and obese. Needless to say, this is an epidemic. And some of it 
is socioeconomic. You know, we deal with issues like food deserts. That's very real. And with respect to food, culture may play a role as well. Sometimes, you know, we tend to identify with foods that might not be the best for us. And it's about replacing recipes and reinventing recipes that are cultural and meaningful. Um, and, you know, we also have other cultural issues around beauty and what health is or what beauty is. And, you know, within that lies the conversation of size. Um, so, you know, ultimately, no matter what one's opinion is uh, with respect to that, it, it all comes down to being healthy um, and, and being happy. And that's why we're here with Fight to Flourish. And let's be very clear as well. I mean, obesity affects everyone. We're just here to talk particular, particularly today about um, Black American females and their struggle with obesity. Um, as I have too. I mean, the struggle for me began very early at the age of nine years old. And and yes, and you have fluctuated throughout your life. Is it something that you feel that you were able to get uh, a grasp of and really turn it around for yourself and keep it, um, you know, moderated, you know, once you became an adult or has it been a struggle? I think it's very important. I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. It's very important to mention. Anyone listening might understand this, that it's uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. This is a lifelong battle. For me, I chose to have bariatric surgery. It's been a very powerful tool, but no one can out-operate inactivity and a poor diet. So even for someone who made the type of decision I did to have surgery, it still is a fight. And it's one that will follow me for the rest of my life. Obesity is a very, very difficult disease, very complex disease that we're learning more and more about. But what we do know is, you know, we have to hold tight to the things that we can do and the things that we know can help us. I always encourage everyone to start with their health team and their physician. This is a very individualized condition. It's not cookie cutter. No two people are the same. So, you know, working with your medical team one-on-one, and then of course you need a family too, you know, and um, that's what we're doing. I'm so thrilled to work with Ethicon and the Academy of American Family Physicians to share with you my story. And in particular at our round table, the story of four incredible women who shared real life stories because it's not easy. And because, you know, one of the first steps is reaching out and being connected to a community and accessing those tools that you need. You can find us at familydoctor.org slash healthy dash weight. Um, and you can also social media platforms use hashtag fight to flourish. And it's one of the really great first steps that you can take for yourself in addition to loving yourself, but that's reconnecting to yourself, finding what's right for you, and listening to others who share the same fight. Absolutely. It's it's like any struggle or any, um, any problem that uh, in the human condition, once we, we take a stand for really admitting that we're struggling with something, reaching out to others is always a great first step and finding all sorts of support. I mean, truly, fight to flourish. Is is it a is it a group? Tell me exactly what that is. Fight to flourish. 
So Flight to Flourish is the campaign. And, you know, if you're struggling with weight, hopefully that will resonate with you. It certainly does with me because every day, um, you know, in one way or another is a fight. But at the same time, you know, there's hope because we can flourish. And so we initially started with a roundtable talk. You'll hear, please, I encourage you to listen, male, female, no matter what your background is, if it's you or someone that you love, to tune in and listen to our roundtable talk. And again, hear the stories of four incredible women and my story at longer lengths, too. And uh, I'm sure you'll find pearls of wisdom, seeds of hope, and a string that binds us all together as we keep fighting together. Yes, and you you have a book, Fighting Weight, which is in its third printing and uh, published by HarperCollins. And I think um, anytime people can read of other women's journeys, it it really, it it helps because you don't feel alone. And when it comes to weight, it's not just um, like a societal, like, how do I look? And that's part of it in terms of, you know, how we feel about ourselves, but it really is a health risk. And so I can see where you feel an urgency to really um, bring people into to the fold of understanding that there is help and support for them. Um, because obviously, you, you don't want to see your fellow sisterhood in 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 health risks that they don't and shouldn't uh, have to to be with their whole lives and struggling with. And uh, life is hard enough, you know. So, but anytime you can get tips and tools, and sometimes it's really, we just all need to educate ourselves. It doesn't matter who we are, um, especially with weight. You know, like you said, everybody is different. There needs to be individual approaches that are going to work for the individual. So grateful. Tell, Tell us the website, one more time and the, at the different places where people can get the support for uh, obesity and, and becoming healthy again. Uh, tell us, please, Kalia Ali. Yes, yes. Please join Ethicon in the American Academy of Family Physicians and I and take a look at familydoctor.org forward slash healthy dash weight or on any of your social media platforms, hashtag fight to flourish. Fight to flourish. Hashtag flight to flourish. Flourish. Thank you so much. Kalia Ali, who is a healthcare advocate, activist, designer, author, and the daughter of the former professional boxer, Muhammad Ali. So much to teach and so much to learn. Thank you so very much for being on the way home. Oh, thank you. Pleasure is mine. Thank you. You're listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Well, there's nothing I love more to do than to end the program on a super high note. And for that, we go to our guru of good news, my good friend, well, Jimmy Dean, I call him. His name is Jim Cleefield in real life. And he has the voice of an angel and the good news to go with it. Jimmy, how are you? And tell us what's happening in the world that's going to make us feel good today. Oh, I feel great. And this story certainly will warm your heart. You know, i got to preface by saying what an incredible segment you did with your friend Mary Beth Gonzalez, not only talking about her surviving the hurricane, but really what struck a chord with me, and this kind of ties in with the story, is the word kindness. I know we talk about inspired a lot on this show, but I think kindness is another word that we use quite often. And I want to tell you the story about a Berkeley uh, college professor, uh, UC Berkeley. His name is Alan Ross, and uh, he 
is think of kindness in a different way because he wanted to pay tribute to a beloved teacher of his from preschool, JCC Preschool Berkeley, uh, by the name of Chris Walton. And unfortunately, he passed away. But he wanted to keep his memory alive in some way. And he decided to do something to recognize an act of kindness each and every month, a random act of kindness. It's called the Chris Kindness Award, named after his professor. It's on a website. You can Google it. You can find it. You can get all the information you wanted. What it is, that recipient who does a random act of kindness, it could be, let's say, finding a wallet, rescuing a lost pet, or perhaps helping an ill neighbor across the street, they recognize that there's a vote by the community each month on that website, and that recipient gets $1,000. Now, this is for the wow. local community in Berkeley. He's starting it locally here just to kind of like, because he wanted to keep, keep his uh, professor's memory alive, but he's hoping that at some point he'll broaden the scope of this in the future, not only beyond Berkeley, but hopefully maybe around the nation as well. So it's just a wonderful thing, the Chris Kindness Award, and uh, he's doing that, and it's off to a great start. That's fantastic. Now, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Where is he getting the funds to give the $1,000? Do people donate to a specific fund in general and then the the money is dispersed or is this his, from his own pocket? Well, that's a good question. I think that's really where you need to go to the website for that because it doesn't say like, you know, where the money's coming from or donating. So people might be, be able to donate it to it because, I mean, it's got to come from somewhere. But go to Chris. Uh, kindness Award. It's on a website. I'm not exactly sure of the address, but you can get all the information there. But that $1,000, I mean, it goes beyond the money itself or wherever it gets it because the fact that person did such a random act of kindness for somebody, that goes a long way. And then the community votes on it, The community I guess. votes on it, and they pick a winner at the end of each month. I love that. It's just, it has you people, everybody focusing on the good that's going on around them. You know, the more you do that, I, I really think that... Um, not only doing random acts of kindness, but then acknowledging them and and telling people about them so that they are also inspired to do so. It truly is what makes the world go round. What a great idea. So Chris Kind Kindness Award. Chris okay? Kindness Award, yes. That's what you Google. I love it. I love it. I think we could start it in Connecticut. You could. And we could in Greenwich and, and Westchester and then also yeah. And also Michiana, mm -hmm. you know, where I, where we also broadcast. We could do uh, both, you know, the the coast and the Midwest. Why you never not? can tell. Why not? Absolutely. So what else do you have? I know you have two stories today, two for the price of one. Yes, I do. And uh, there's certainly a good reason to reduce your screen time. I know we hear about this as adults all the time, but for toddlers, uh, there's a pretty good reason for limiting the screen time. And uh, there was a study done in part with the American Academy of Pediatrics and the University of Illinois that said that, that kids, particularly toddlers, if they can do uh, less than an hour of screen time, that would really help their cognitive development and also get some physical exercise. And it's a really interesting study. Uh, study. It's, they called it executive function, where they use their brain for, let's say, goal-based behaviors as a result of not using as much screen time. And they go through the dietary things, several servings of fruits and veggies, just like we do as adults, limiting your sugars and all of that. And it just because it really starts young for these toddlers, because it will really not only help their cognitive development, but also their physical development as well. And part of the study was done for the Strong Kids 2 Core Heart Study at the University of Illinois. They did it with families, about 350 toddlers, and they said, yeah, it really is a good idea to limit that screen time because that way, you know, if, you, if you put your mind towards other things, you know, your mind, your body, your soul, your spirit, and your diet, uh, you really become a, a better person in the future. So I think that's a wonderful thing to do. And as I say, I, I admit, I, I get a lot of screen time. I'm sure you do, Laura and Bob. Uh, I mean, we can all benefit this, but really, you know, the fact it starts young with toddlers, that's a great way to start. It's amazing that we even have to say that that it's starting as young as toddlers and mm -hmm. when cell phones first came out we thought that was bad enough that then like teenagers were starting to use them but now we're, we're at the point where 
toddlers have their own devices. That's right. And and they're getting so much screen time. I I don't know, but I feel I feel happy that I'm actually as old as I am and that, you know, my time was spent doing everything from playing games to being outside, uh, doing lots of pretend kind of things. And, you know, none of it involved looking at something. I will say, however, I loved my TV set and I'd come in and want to watch maybe Gilligan's Island or the Brady Bunch or something like that. I'm telling everybody how old I am right now, but I don't know. That's just, uh, that's my little soapbox for this afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) I I hope I didn't like take over the good news, but that, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how about you, Bob? What did you spend your childhood doing? Watching the TV, of course, as well as going outside and playing. But watching the TV is something I do a lot now. Well, I mean, radio and TV is what influenced my career, good or bad or otherwise, when I was as a kid. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it did. It did influence my career because I just admired all those personalities. So that's, that's my reason. You know, the kids are learning some skills with these uh, electronic devices as well. And that's going to always be there. Mm-hmm. So for them to learn when they're young and capable of learning quickly, it, maybe it's not as bad a thing as we think. You're right. I'm really sounding like a curmudgeon. (laughs) So I think like everything else in life, it's moderation, Mm. balance, and uh, that usually settles the score. Just trying to keep it all in perspective, not having too much of anything. On that fine note, I've said enough for today. But um, I thank you so much, both of you. Bob Small, my producer, Jim Cleefield, for always coming up with great topics and stories. And thank you to Mary Beth Gonzalez and telling us what's going on in Florida, because it it really is. We can't just pretend like it's it's over and done with. They're just beginning the recovery, and it's, it's a big deal. So I'm grateful to have brought her into the spotlight today. And for everyone else, please enjoy your week. Spend time with those that you love the most and have a great time. Be safe, though and healthy and maybe play with some tinker toys if you get a chance or some hopscotch all right i'll let you go now lots of love from the way home i'm laura smith